Welcome to the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart Podcast. Each week, we interview the best and brightest in physical therapy, wellness, and entrepreneurship. We give you cutting-edge information you need to live your best life, healthy, wealthy, and smart. The information in this podcast is for entertainment purposes only and should not be used as personalized medical advice. And now, here's your host, Dr. Karen Litzy. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by FreshBooks, where you can create and send professional-looking invoices in less than 30 seconds. FreshBooks is offering a 30-day unrestricted free trial to my listeners. To claim it, just go to freshbooks.com slash HWS and enter healthy, wealthy, and smart in the how did you hear about us section. Okay, so today's episode, my guest... I would describe her in one word, and that is she is just lovely. So my guest today is Naomi Madudu. She founded the Lifestyle Edit in February 2015, following a string of successful positions within the fashion industry in the UK. Prior to launching the Lifestyle Edit, Madudu was the fashion editor of Metro, as well as City AM style editor and the PR to luxury Italian label, Alessandra Ferreira. Her love of digital media and the lack of real-life content for women inspired her to create the UK's first digital lifestyle, Glossy, which has amassed a loyal following in the UK and US in the short time since it's launched. Hailing from South London, Madudu graduated with a law degree before turning to fashion and has worked with the likes of Harper's Bazaar, Glamour, and Tadler, all before reaching her mid-20s. In 2016, she expanded the lifestyle edit business to encompass a consulting company that supports the small to medium-sized female-founded businesses she champions on the site. She is currently living between London and New York, as she expands the Lifestyle Edit internationally. So we have links to the Lifestyle Edit. Just go to podcast.healthywealthysmart.com and click on today's episode. Um, It's beautiful. It's a beautiful uh, digital glossy. So I highly, highly suggest you check it out. She's got great articles. It's it's, uh, wonderful for not only only women, I think men as well. It's just, it's it's a lovely site. So please check out the Lifestyle Edit. So on this episode, what do we talk about? How do we relate this to healthcare? Well, I'll tell you. So we talk about how Naomi made the leap from managing a content platform to consulting small businesses. So if that sounds familiar to a lot of you people in healthcare out there who maybe have a blog or a podcast, how can you translate content into consulting? So how can you put out really great content for people and then also make some money on the side? So how to differentiate yourself from others in your space? Strategies for onboarding new clients and how to manage their expectations. This is huge. After speaking with Naomi, I was like, I really need to start changing some things. So she goes through kind of what her onboarding process is for new clients and how much detail needs to go into it. And I feel like I have not done that and I'm going to start doing it right now. And why you should focus on cooperation over competition. So building a community versus separating ourselves and tearing each other apart within our own profession and our own community doesn't do anybody any good. Um, So this episode is just chock full of great tidbits of information, lots of nuggets of knowledge here shared by Naomi. So I just want to thank her so much for coming on. And like I said, she is just lovely. She's lovely. And I, 
I got so much out of this episode. Like I literally changed my whole onboarding process, my paperwork, everything after recording this with her. So hopefully you get just as much out of it as I did. As always, thank you for tuning in, listening and downloading. And like I said, you can find everything, um, all the links to everything we talk about in today's episode at podcast.healthywealthysmart.com and just click on today's episode. So thanks for listening. And here's my talk with Naomi. Hi, Naomi. Welcome to the podcast. I'm happy to have you on. Thank you so much for having me, Karen. Yeah, you're welcome. So in the intro, I spoke all about a little bit about your background and the lifestyle edit, but could you fill in some uh, blanks there for our listeners so they get a better idea of who you are? Definitely. So I started my career as a fashion editor in newspapers here in London. And it was my dream job. You know, I'd been working really hard over the years to kind of get to get to that role. And I think, like many people have experienced, once I got there, it was this kind of panic, like, what's next? I absolutely loved, loved what I was doing. But the editorial side, I was as interested in the commercial side and how the whole industry worked as I was about the writing side. And, you know, the con the media industry was in a great state of flux at the time you know digital was really thriving but it was still very much that you know the clickbait how can we really monetize this kind of surge in interest in advertisers online so it wasn't necessarily adhering to the quality that we kind of know and love from print so I found that there was a real opportunity there and I was just looking at the 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 webs the websites that were out at the time the blogs they were all very focused on personal style and beauty and personalities but there wasn't really a place I felt that really spoke did long form journalism so it wasn't about that kind of clickbaity content and really explored the amazing women in our industry doing really interesting things so when I was a fashion editor often I'd be interviewing these incredible women but it would always be in relation to a product. And I felt like the industry was changing. It's now about that inspiration before purchase. I want to buy into the values and the person behind the brand before I buy it. There's so much choice out there. Um, so that's kind of where the idea for the lifestyle edit happened. And as I was going through this transition and really always knew that I wanted to be an entrepreneur and start my own thing, I looked around and there just wasn't a place that did that provided that information. I did not know where to start. No one in my family were entrepreneurial. I come from a very academic background. So there wasn't a place that wasn't, you know, entrepreneur or Inc. that kind of spoke to me in a way that I could relate to. So, yeah, that's how the Lifestyle Edit was born. Um, I flew to New York. One of my friends was getting married and she just said to me, you know, what's the worst that can happen? You go back to doing what you were already doing. And I, I went back, I left, and here we are two and a half years later. And, you know, I think you bring up something really interesting um, that your friend said, listen, if it doesn't work out, you always can go back to what you were doing. And I think that there, when it comes to being an entrepreneur, especially if you don't have that background or have a lot of friends or family with that background, it can be a really scary proposition. And so what advice would you give to someone who, let's say, comes to you and says, I have this great idea. I found a gap in the market like you did, but... I, I'm like petrified. I can't move forward. 
it's so funny because I have so many friends that are in that situation that kind of took the corporate route but have these ideas that they've been sitting on and uh, absolutely petrified and I always say that now you know post-recession and everything that's going on in the economy being an entrepreneur is actually more of a dead cert than many kind of corporate careers especially I can only speak for print at least um and every day we were seeing you know people being made redundant and teams just getting smaller and smaller um so for me actually taking that step at the time that I did was the best way that I could ensure my um my future professionally and also financially um so I think often the risk is more and the fear is more about the unknown when you really break it down many of us don't have anything to lose and that's what she the, the thought process that she got me in everything she was like let's break it down what are you afraid of you know what people will think you know if people really love you and support you they'll be there for you anyway you know what else are you afraid about then it may not work you go back to doing exactly what it is that you were supposed to do it wasn't that I was a new fish in this industry I had skills I had you know a solid education I had something to fall back on so once I'd kind of gone through that whole process I realized that actually I'm in a really strong and empowered position um, and I think that's the case of many of us it's just you have to go through that thought process okay if that was to happen what would happen you know and when you do that you realize that actually it's a, it's a lot less risky than it, it seems yeah and and I like the idea of and I would encourage people to do this just get out a piece of paper and write all that down write down oh my god totally. right write down totally. what are your fears I think I still have mine oh do somewhere. you I did that too so yeah. it's like, what are your fears? What what would it mean if those fears came true? And what would it mean if they didn't? Exactly. You know? And it's, you know, I always say to friends and just and clients that are thinking about taking that jump that it's the most scary but liberating thing that every day I wake up knowing that my success complete, you know, on the whole boils down to to me and how much I'm willing to put in it like I can't think of something more liberating than that you know there are so many things where you're you're working every hour God sends you're not with your your loved ones and your family and your fate is really at the at the hands of somebody else going down that entrepreneurship route it really is how much you're willing to put into it and how hard you're willing to hustle yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I spoke with someone uh, last week and he was talking kind of about being an entrepreneur and being kind of being your own brand. And what you just said reminded me of something he said, and that is um, you're going to have your job. You're going to have your brand. It's up to you. Do you want someone else to give you that or do you want to take control and give it to yourself? Absolutely. And it goes, it's one of my favorite quotes. It's so cheesy. It's from Beyonce. But she said, mm -hmm. you know, I'm not a gambler, but if I'm going to bet on anyone, I'm bloody going to bet on myself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, um, so no, absolutely. I find that that's the, the thing that really gets me out of bed in the, mo in the morning and really motivates me because those times where I have really been in alignment and have been really focused, it's, it's paid dividends in a way that I would never be able to experience if I was still in my former life.
Yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. And and speaking of paying dividends, both emotionally, spiritually, <laughs> and let's say financially, um, let's get into. I think a topic that I know a lot of my listeners, people that are in healthcare, kind of get stuck, and I'm sure it's most entrepreneurs, but how do you transition from giving content, having a content platform, to offering consulting services to get paid, essentially? Because it's great to offer content. It's great to have content. But then how do you monetize that in a way that isn't icky, I guess is the best way to put it. Yeah, it's it's a push and pull and it's something that it's it's taken me many years to find that right balance. I think when I first started the lifestyle edit, there wasn't really many platforms like us. So a lot of the brands that had the budgets and we were now used to spending money on um in the digital space were purely focused on the the personal style kind of influencer blogger blogosphere. And we just weren't part of that. So at the time, it was really frustrating because I felt like I was constantly having to explain how our model was different, why it works. Um, so in the early stages, it was really hard for us to monetize because it was just such a different model to, to what was currently out there at the time. The benefit of that was that it really allowed me the time to focus on our content and really get into the minds of our readers. What were their pain points? What are the things that they're struggling with? What were the things that when I started my business, I just had absolutely no clue on. So that's how we kind of started um, with our editorial calendar. And it was really about answering those questions. And because we had such a long time where we really were focused on the content as opposed to monetizing it um, and having to compromise with the types of partnerships that were were available at the time, um, we had so much data about what the pain points of our audience were. So, for example, things like funding. Many of our readers would say we have no clue about the business side. So I'm really great at the creative. I understand that side. But how do I how do I monetize that or how do I go um, secure funding? So we had all of this data about the con types of content that our readers were really resonating with. So when it came to transitioning to the consulting services, I already knew what the pain points of these women were. And, and I think you bring up a great point, and that is to do your research. So you can't just throw stuff out there and see if it's going to stick. You really have to do your research. And like you said, know, know your data and know the pain points of your possible clients. Otherwise, exactly. you're just spinning. Exactly. And uh, one of my favorite um, experts, Seth Godin, always says this, that when you really understand the minds and the, the, the concerns and the worries of your audience, when you launch a paid offering, you do it with a whisper. You don't have to scream about it because you already have you already know them so intimately that they're ready to make that transition into a paid offering. Um, and with the consulting services, it really happened organically. Um, when I was in my former role, I sat obviously on editorial, but I was so fascinated with how editorial and commercial came together. Because for me, as a, as a journalist, the more money that goes into my section, the more pages that I got. So I always understood this delicate balancing act between the two. 
And so can you give an example of maybe someone that you've worked with who you've helped take this content platform to something that's generating some income for them? Yeah, completely. So when we first started our consulting business, all of our, essentially all of our clients were women that we'd worked with on features. So we'd interviewed them. Our interviews are very in-depth and often are in their homes or in their place of work. They often go on for multiple hours. So I was just quizzing them about, you know, what are the things that they, what are the things that they're struggling with? What are the things that they need help for? And obviously just doing research on the lifestyle edit, the types of women that we feature and also our business strategy, our social they were actually coming to me and saying, okay, we love what you're doing with this. How can you use what you're doing in your business and help me with that in mine? Um, yeah, go ahead. No, sorry, please. Oh, I was going to say, um, and are these women who have very similar businesses to you or are they completely different? So we work with clients kind of across the gamut. So from architectural design to homeware to beauty, fashion, and we literally slot into their businesses according to their needs. So I always say that one of the biggest lessons I learned was the power of delegation. But in order for my business to grow, I need to constantly be working in my mode of genius and delegate the rest. Um, so with my clients, it's exactly the same thing. So so much was about building that relationship, seeing, OK, where is their mode of genius? What's the elements that they don't either have the resources to hire someone out externally um, and they don't actually have the manpower to do that with their with their current staff? So how can our our strengths kind of slot in and help them in those weak points? So we work with clients on a whole Re, whole gamut of, of different areas so from social media to content strategy to influencer marketing to activations how can we create a big deal of a new collection in the day and age where influencers and press and just the general public are just so bombarded with information all the time how can you cut through the noise so it really is based on what what those teams want all of our the companies that we work with are small to medium sized so just don't have that manpower and that's where we come in and what is your best advice to cut through all that noise cuz there's a lot of it i mean i know just in in my industry in physical therapy and in healthcare i mean everybody has everybody now has a podcast everybody's got a blog everybody's on facebook live everybody's on social media so how do you as an individual stand out amongst all of that it sounds really cliche but i think it's it's actually doing the opposite it's stepping away and really getting into alignment about what your services or your business or your clients are really offering that's different. I think I come up with the most creative ideas when I'm actually having moments where I'm stepping away from social media. I'm not tracking what our competitors or other people in our space are doing. And I'm constantly going back to why are we doing this? Who are we serving? What do they need? The moment you stay true to to that and you're constantly reminding yourself of that it naturally flows I think it's so easy um, as business 
people today with with things like Instagram to constantly think oh well they're doing this big activation why aren't we doing that or they're collaborating with this person we need to be doing it and the moment you start doing that you become a second-rate version of somebody else and that's why I say always go back to the data go back to the data everyone else may be doing a but our data may be saying that our audience actually expects and wants b of us so it's all about going back to those numbers and going back to what your audience wants and also just asking them. We did a, um, a survey recently in our, in our newsletter and we'd never done anything like that before. We were literally just going based on our analytics and we were actually shocked. A large part of our audience were people in full-time jobs that were trying to make that transition into entrepreneurship and because we focus so much on entrepreneurship we thought that the majority of our audience were actually already running businesses so sometimes it's using the audience that you have and speaking directly to them and creating that sense of dialogue and um, community and often they'll be very willing to tell you what they do and what they don't want oh yes I've I've I would agree with that <laughs> people have no problems telling you what they like and especially what they don't like um, but that's all good because that all adds to your database and then you can then really tailor your message to that audience and like you said then you don't have to scream it from every point possible in the uh, the internet because you're going to have that group of people who are your true loyal fans. Exactly. It's, I can't remember the, the, the guy who wrote the article, but he has a really great piece called A Thousand True Fans. I don't know if you've read it, mm -mm. but it's amazing. And he says that's the whole point, that when you have a, a thousand, all you many businesses need are a thousand true fans. And they're the fans that the moment you launch something, they're ready there and waiting to go. So it's about constantly tapping into that audience and giving them more of what you need. And and yeah, like I said, just not getting getting caught in the comparison trap. So, you know, even with things like social media, do you need to be splitting your time between five different platforms? If your audience is of a certain demographic, they may not be on platforms like Snapchat. It's like really focusing on who is your audience and where are they and putting those efforts into those areas. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I love, I want to kind of repeat what you said earlier, because I actually love that um, when you talked about comparing yourself to others, that um, you don't want to be a second version of someone else. And oh, I just, I just want to re, uh, reiterate that and repeat that for people because oftentimes, I mean, we're human beings, right? We fall into that trap. We have egos, we have to kind of keep that in the back of our mind. I think I'm going to write that on my wall or something. <laughs> no, it's so true. And, you know, it's something that I'm constantly working on. And, you know, just also finding this uh, a healthy place between that, you know, competitive ambitiousness that comes with being being an entrepreneur you know you want to drive forward you want to you know lead the agenda in your in your field that's that's often what what fuels us but it's about also having that um element of um you know see seeing the bigger picture so yeah definitely recently actually I had like a a few weeks hiatus on of social media just because I needed to have that space to really create and when I have those moments, the, the, 
the proof is always in the work and your audience are always just really excited about what it is that you have to come up with rather than constantly feeling like you have to produce just for the sake of producing. Right, right. Because you don't have to do that. And then what I find is at times I'll, you could start to resent it a little bit. Oh my God, absolutely. And I I think (laughs) that's the thing that people don't realize. Like I literally love my business, resent my business I'm exhausted of my business I'm overwhelmed by my business all in like that's like in an afternoon <laughs> so to continue to have seriously to continue to have a healthy relationship with my business I need to be able to have that that space you know space for things to space for things to marinate that's why even in the last two months we've actually um, cut our consulting clients back by 50% just because the demands of the growth of that side of our business was so much that I didn't I it was constantly a rat race and I didn't have the time to be creative and you know get out you know just get away from your laptop and mm-hmm. allow ideas marinade to read different things see what's happening in other industries and how you can incorporate some of those things into into your business and I read a book actually um, at the start of the year called the e-myth and it was a complete game changer for me and he says that you know every entrepreneur has three personalities we have the technician the manager and and the entrepreneur the technician is the person that's committed to the work and getting that done the manager is the person. It's all about processes and kind of project management. Then we have the entrepreneur. The entrepreneur is the visionary. The entrepreneur is the is the person that's seeing the opportunities before everybody else does. It's is the leader that steers the ship. And I think so often when we're in this kind of comparison state or where we're completely overwhelmed with with feeling the need to constantly keep up with what's going on out there we get stuck in this technician and managerial role as opposed to being the visionary. And as entrepreneurs and founders, that's our responsibility. Yeah, Nobody else can do that. A hundred percent. I could not agree more. And I think on that note, we are going to take a quick 45 second break to hear from our sponsor. And we will return to talk about how to set expectations and some other great stuff with Naomi. So we'll be back in 45. A huge thanks to FreshBooks for sponsoring today's episode. The all-new FreshBooks makes ridiculously easy accounting software that's completely transformed how freelancers and small business owners deal with their day-to-day work. It's been redesigned from the ground up and custom-built for exactly the way you work. The all-new features include professional-looking invoices in less than 30 seconds, set up online payments, and see when your clients have seen your invoice. FreshBooks is offering a 30-day unrestricted free trial to my listeners. To claim it, just go to freshbooks.com HWS and enter healthy, wealthy, and smart in the how did you hear about us section. And it's ridiculously easy. I have been using it. If I can use it, you can too. And now back to today's episode. Okay, everybody, we are back. And Naomi, we have uh, a great question. We kind of talked about this uh, before we went on, but how do you set expectations with clients? This is a question, I don't care what industry you're in, whether it be fashion, banking, healthcare, my case, physical therapy, setting your expectations with your clients has to be a top priority because if you don't, 
you won't get buy-in, and you certainly won't get people to stick around. So what is your best advice on how to set expectations? Oh, I so love that you asked me this question because, my God, did it take me a long time to realize just how important this is. And, you know, so often I would feel really upset and feel, you know, with feeling like clients have, you know, exploited or violated my boundaries and then realize that actually they haven't violated my boundaries because I didn't set them in the first place. Um, so that definitely has been one of the biggest, the biggest learning curves that I've had, especially with um, the the client side of my business. Um, it's so important. And in the beginning, I think even with um, some of our coaching clients, they always say, oh, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to push the boat. I've just kind of got this client on board. I really want the relationship to be great. I don't want it to, I don't want to seem difficult. And I always say that setting those boundaries in the beginning, while it can feel uncomfortable, that is the framework of your relationship. That's what allows your relationship to run smoothly from that point. So I, my advice is always to brainstorm everything. So for us, once contracts are signed, we create an onboarding package. And that's where we really outline the expectations. So when we're having our initial conversations, we're on a fact-finding mission. We want to know everything possible about our client. That helps us in forming that onboarding package document but that's also where we outline the way that we work so brainstorm everything how do you want to communicate how frequently do you want your communication to be how soon can clients expect for you to respond to an email after after it's sent um how often are you going to send reports are you going to send reports is it a tiered a tiered approach that with this fee you get this. If you go to the second tier, you get this. Um, what sort of queries should be directed to you as a founder? What queries are more appropriate to be sent to members of your team? What are your office hours? Will you accept emails on the weekend? Will you not? Um, where will your meetings take place? Will they take place virtually or will they always be taking place in person? Um, what are the billing days, when are payments due, all of those things create the foundation for your relationship. So later on, if there are any disputes, it's settled really simply because you say, I'd like to refer you back to our onboarding package. It feels really difficult in the beginning, but it's like having a contract. It's just your safety blanket to make sure that you're setting the tone of your relationship from the beginning. And I think that makes a lot of sense. And I'm glad that you gave some of those examples because I think a lot of people would say, oh, but that's just so little. When when can you accept <laughs> an email? When are you going to get back? On yeah. a Saturday night. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and, and we... Uh, yeah, go ahead. And we always, we always, you know, are often so outraged, like, ah, oh, you know, they're, they're completely violating my boundaries. You know, I'm away with my family. I'm, I'm this... Um, but yeah, there's no violation if they were not stated in the first place. We all have different um, ways of working. You know, even just when I work with my London-based clients compared to my New York-based clients, it is completely different. Um, so you can't take those things for granted. It's better to over-prepare than to under. 
to prepare when it comes to boundaries for sure. Yeah, for sure. Like a lot of this effect, as you're saying this, I'm like, boy, I need to re uh, evaluate <laughs> my onboarding paperwork because I don't have some of this stuff on here. And I think it's really it, simple things like your office hours. And if you work virtually, what are your office hours? You know, you're not physically going someplace. You know, I work in patients' homes. And so oftentimes I do get patients that will call late at night or email, you know, on the weekends. And and you're right. I need to be I've I've certainly set some boundaries there, but I probably need to be a little more forceful with them. And and I guess that's another point. If you have boundaries, that's great. But you have to be you have to enforce them. You have to enforce them and I was really bad with enforcing my boundaries when I didn't do the do this process the moment I had that foundation it made it so much easier to be like no I'm 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 not prepared to do that or if you're doing that you do realize that that's actually outside of what we initially agreed which means that we need to have another conversation and that empowered me to have to have those conversations because I think especially as women in business, it's so and just generally as new businesses, there is this feeling of, oh, I should be so grateful. I should forever feel so grateful. And by having that, it really gave me the confidence to be like, no, actually, I'm I'm providing a service. I'm incredibly professional. Um, so I expect the same courtesy back. Yeah, I was just going to say, all of these, setting these boundaries and having this in your onboarding package or in your contract, I think it shows that you are a professional, that you're not some like ragtag bunch that's just getting together (laughs) to try and help somebody out, but that, you know, you're, you come in as a true professional. And I think that's one great way to set that expectation with your client, because now your client is expecting a professional relationship. Completely. And also just internally in your business, when you're having new team members come on board, I also share the onboarding package with them. So they know that, for example, if clients, um, we have a policy that, you know, we have to respond to a client query within three hours, they know that that's our standard. So boundaries actually create processes for your business too, you know, and gives you a great point. Um, so, and, you know, as you're trying to scale and you're having more moving parts in your business and more people, having those clear guidelines makes it so much easier to, to work efficiently. Um, and yeah, and like we we touched on earlier, it's so important to still feel inspired and motivated by your business. And the moment I started creating boundaries, like, you know, I don't take I don't take emails on the weekend. It allowed me to come back to my work on Monday feeling fresh, feeling pumped um, to, to, to get back to things. Whereas before, because there wasn't those boundaries, I would constantly be, you know, checking my email on the weekend and being like, oh, you know, if I don't respond to this. And, you know, then you start getting into the guilt, the this. Um, so it just makes life so much easier for you mentally, practically. I cannot rave about those onboarding packages more and sometimes there'll be things that you haven't thought about so oftentimes you know as a relationship matures you know things pop up because people are just a lot more comfortable 
what I do is I have um, a board on Trello and I'll just make a note. Say, ah, I forgot that. And that, that, that's, that for me feels a bit like a violation. I need to remember that for the next time I'm onboarding a client. So we just have a working Trello board where we'll just add that to be like, mm, we missed that. We need to make sure that we, we, we catch that in our next in our next onboarding. Yeah, I, I think that is great advice. And I am definitely going to be revisiting what I do when I first bring people on because I think that is all great advice. And, and in the end, and it's something you kind of touched upon without really saying it, and that is, I think it helps to keep you in your business without the burnout. Because oh, you know, completely. you know what your responsibilities are, your clients know what their responsibility is to you and to themselves. And it keeps you sane totally and I'm, I'm a big I'm a big reader so I'm coming out with all of these books that everyone should read I love but it. I love it I remember reading um a seven habits of highly effective people and you know he has his different quadrants and he says that so often why we're ineffective is because we're constantly dealing with the immediate but not urgent so you know a client email comes in it's not it's immediate. You just popped up in your inbox, but it's not urgent. As your business begins to scale, you really have to be selective and prioritize with your time. By having these boundaries, it gives you that that space to make that distinction. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. Immediate versus urgent. All these things are sticking in my head. Um, okay, so uh, something else that we kind of touched upon, I feel like here and there throughout our talk so far, is that concept of competition. And I'd love to know how you guys at Lifestyle Edit, I think, have, have taken the concept of community over competition. And can you explain that concept and how it's helped you and your business? Yeah, so it's something that has been a bit of a journey for me. I think that the um, the organization that, that coined the, the phrase was at an amazing um, company called the Rising Tide Society. And I think it really um, it really illustrates how the the entrepreneurial space has changed. I think for so long it was this whole idea of, you know, there can only be one and you know, approaching our businesses from a place of scarcity. Um, and it's only actually, I when I started working more in New York, I, I literally did not know anybody. I didn't have any community there. And I remember I just emailed a few people and said, hey, I'm new to the city. I absolutely love what you're doing. Um, can, can I take you out for coffee? And now I have such an amazing network of women doing really interesting things. And they're my first port of call for advice, for being, you know, a sounding board, for, you know, connecting me with the right people at the right time. Um, and just that experience was a, was a a big, a big eye opener for me. Because I think even myself, you know, there is, you're constantly um, indoctrinated with this idea that, yeah, there can only be one, you know, there's, there's not enough opportunities to go around. So, you know, you don't want to share your idea or you don't want to, um, yeah, be, be collaborative. But the moment I started seeing that actually when one person in the space is doing well, it actually, one, drives me. It You know, when I'm getting feedback from other people who are, you know, oftentimes a little bit further in their entrepreneurial journey than I am, 
um, it gets me thinking, it pushes me. And I, I want to be able to, 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 to push that forward to other women in, in, in my community and network too. So I guess it's just that movement from thinking about our businesses and, you know, opportunities from a place of scarcity to a place of abundance. Yeah, and I love the, it, sorry for the sirens in the background here, but um, I, I do love the simple act of just shooting someone an email and saying, you know, I, I love what you do, I admire what you do, do you have time to meet for a cup of coffee? I oh, mean, completely. listen, they're either going to say yes or no, right? What do you, what do you off, lose? What do you lose? What, Nothing. What do you lose? And there just is this entrepreneurial journey can be so lonely <laughs> can be it can be so isolating you go from an office where you're kind of in it together and um you spend more time with them than you do your family to often being on your own and you know you are you may know the the, the creative side or the you know to use the analogy earlier, the technician side of your business, but you're confronted with so many things that you just never knew about, you know, VAT, all of this, like the legalities of when you're hiring staff, like I had absolutely no clue and none of my friends or my family could even begin to help me with that. So to be able to have this community that was supportive and you know, also just said, yeah, actually, yeah, it kind of sucks. And I had that too. This is how I over, overcome it. I think there is a really, I think it really is an interesting time right now to be an entrepreneur because there is this kind of camaraderie and community spirit that I don't think has, has always been there. Yeah. And who, so I'm curious on a personal level, who were your biggest mentors? Who kind of helped you the most? Oh God, it's so hard. Um, I guess my my family are my, my are constantly my first port of call. Just because I think sometimes it's so great to have the perspective of someone who is completely unrelated or linked to anything that it is that you're doing, and are always you know the first people I go to as a sounding board. But like I said, that community of women who I've met over the last two and a half years have been have have absolutely been my mentors they push me even if they agree with a new a new venture that I'm thinking of doing they will question me to the point where I even realize that the 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 idea doesn't have legs or I'm even more committed and focused and in tune with why it's such a great opportunity um yeah I I I thrive on that um so yeah, I I don't know how I'd be able to be where I am today if it wasn't for that support. Yeah, and, and just also watching their successes, it's just that constant fuel for me. Especially when you have those 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 lulls and those days where things feel a little bit too overwhelming. Just being able to to see all of the incredible things that they're doing reminds me to to keep going. Oh, and I think that's great advice. And on that note, I've got one last question for you. And it's a question that I ask everyone. And that is knowing where you are now in your career and your life, what advice would you give yourself just starting out or maybe just graduating from university? You don't have to be perfect to start. You have to start to be perfect. So throwing yourself in, I think I'm, I'm one of those people who 
constantly need to know the outcome before I'm willing to to make that risk and try. Um, I need to know that something's going to be successful. Um, so yeah, trust trust the process. You have to be. You have to start to be perfect, um, and embrace the journey. It's it's always good to have that, you know, five year goal, that ten year plan. But for so far over the last two and a half years, it's leaning into those unforeseen opportunities that have taken my business in places that I never would have imagined. Um, so don't always feel so rigid to the plan and trust the process. Trust that if you are, if I'm getting into alignment with what makes me feel good and what feels, you know, touch, touching into that intuition, it will never lead, lead you astray. So yeah, I think, I think those would be definitely the, the two biggest two biggest things. Yes. And I think that is great advice for anyone at any stage of life, regardless of whether you're just graduating or you're 30 years into your journey. I think that is very wonderful advice. So I thank you for that. And before we uh, end here, where can people find you? So we are on all um, social media. So you can find us on Instagram at the Lifestyle Edit. We are on Twitter, Lifestyle underscore Edit. Um, and yeah, sign up to our newsletter on the LifestyleEdit.com. Every week, I'm kind of updating our community on my whole process of navigating this whole entrepreneurial journey, along with kind of keeping you up to date with everything else we're doing. Our supper clubs, where we bring... Um, female entrepreneurs together um, definitely definitely sign up to our newsletter that's where all of that information is awesome well Naomi thank you so much this was a wealth of information like I said for anybody I don't care what you're doing Um, so I thank you so much for taking the time out and coming on today Thank you, Karen. And everyone uh, out there listening, thanks so much for tuning in and downloading and subscribing. Have a great week and stay healthy, wealthy, and smart. Well, there you have it. What a great episode and a huge thanks to Naomi Madudu. Please check out the Lifestyle Edit. And of course, a big thank you to FreshBooks for sponsoring today's podcast episode. If you want your free 30-day unrestricted trial, go to freshbooks.com slash H-W-S and enter healthy, wealthy, and smart in the how did you hear about us section. So everybody, thanks so much for tuning in and have a great week. Thank you for listening and please subscribe to the podcast at podcast.healthywealthysmart.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media.